0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Threat Talk. I'm your host, Bob Hansman, and we've talked before about the value of using a third-party resource to help with various aspects of cybersecurity. Uh, Nobody can do it all, and I even shared some surveys uh, from the Sands Institute and others where uh, their survey respondents came back and said overwhelmingly that there are very many aspects of the uh, stock today that they actually outsource. They can't do it all. Um, And some of it's not things that you do every day, Um, but we've talked from this uh, perspective of channel partners and consultants, um, typically local resources who you might work with and and establish a relationship. But today we're going to expand that discussion into the realm of the service provider. Now we're going to have a couple of episodes on this to dig into certain specific areas of the service provider world. But today, to help us kick this off, we've asked David Ayers, who's the Senior Product Marketing Manager of Global Telecom for uh, Infoblox to join us and uh, help us get going on this. Thanks for joining us, David.
1: Hey, thank you very much for having me, Bob.
0: Now, since this is kind of an introductory overview, let's start with a bit of an overview on uh, what service providers do. I mean, uh, we will be drilling into security towards the end, but... Just back off of that, and just overall, what is the role of the service provider today?
1: I I think, honestly, you can say that uh, telecommunications service providers, uh, they play just a massive role in basically everything that we do, right? Um, They play a crucial role in communications, information exchange, entertainment. Um, They make e-government work. They make just... Everything work, right? Uh, it's the backbone of the of the modern digital world. And you know, when I was when I was thinking about this earlier, I was just thinking about imagine uh, if telecommunications had not evolved to where it is today. When we went all when we all went through COVID nineteen, you know, a lot of us wouldn't have been able to have worked. A lot of companies wouldn't have been able to conduct a transaction. So imagine, you know, if we didn't have that performance and that speed and that connectivity uh, that we have right now. So yeah, I think they're central to everything.
0: Well, and and the one aspect that, of course, I recall um, was with the, the internet when that came out. Um, they had started out offering things like dial-up services and so forth to the consumers. But um, uh, I, I was a remote worker uh, way back then, and I remember getting ISDN. That was like ultra fast technology back in those days. Oh yeah. And um, you know, instead of just having a phone line, which is what telecommunication providers originally were for me, from my perspective, they phone service. But then when they got into internet can- connectivity, they started doing that. Uh, but that was on the consumer level. But at the business level, they're doing things like WAN and stuff, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, they've, uh, you know, I would say probably, uh, and this is going back in time here, right? But um, if you go back into the um, to the 80s, 70s and 80s, um, a lot of business was still conducted over the public uh, switch telephone network, right? Copper, you know, phone lines. Um, it wasn't until around, you know, that time where you started saying, seeing ISDN, you started seeing T1 lines that were going in. I remember uh, businesses and college, the colleges I was at, I remember looking at the map of the internet and seeing 256k links, you know, connecting um, our entire campus to the next uh, backbone of, of the network. So yeah, it's uh, everything has changed thank goodness for the better. Uh, things have gotten more faster and more reliable, but yeah.
0: Well, and, and back at those times when they were doing the WANs, I uh, mm-hmm. was in a, a different area of security and, and computer support, uh, working for a vendor. I've almost always worked for mm-hmm. a vendor after my engineering days. And one of the banks that I visited, I remember I joined them uh, while they were having a meeting with their local service provider, and they weren't working with them on Providing another line out the back of the building. One was in the front, one was in the back, because wow. they were dealing with uh, redundancy and uptime. You know, if there was a construction that cut their line, which they'd actually experienced in the in the front of the building, uh, road construction actually severed them from the internet. Uh, yep. By the way, this was a bank, and so uh, transactions that have to be conducted in milliseconds all of a sudden took over a day. Um, They didn't want that to happen again. So they were having redundant lines put in. And I also remember them talking about compliance, that they actually had the service provider helping them meet a number of regulatory compliance uh, challenges Mm that they were dealing with. So, you know, service providers started branching out. I think your timing, uh, I I agree, that's when I was seeing it around the 80s and 90s. Service providers started doing more than, which is why we call them service providers, not just telecom anymore. They do a lot more than that. Um, Now, today, um, I'm going to go ahead and lead the witness here a bit, because I'm really excited. (laughs) You've been digging in for a couple of years into how this whole 5G thing is going, because they're on the front of actually new technologies now. They're not just supporting stuff like they did with WAN, but they're helping introduce new technologies that are changing the way we do business as well, right? Absolutely. Um,
1: And I think that... uh if you look at how things have evolved then you know i don't want to go back too far in time right but you know you had 1g which was when we were walking around with bag and brick phones right um, completely analog 2g started going digital you know 3g um, now you have networks on this crossroads right of 4g and 5g and then to, to, to make things even more fun you're going from uh, from 5G uh, non standalone, which is basically where you still have a 4G core, but you have 5G radios. And then they're slowly over time going to move that to a completely, uh, a complete 5G core, which is going to be a complete end to end cloud native, uh, you know, brand new generation. I mean, it's completely different than any of the prior generations that is more cloud native, um, edge centric uh when when you start uh introducing these things like network slicing where from the same radios i'm able to offer different services and speeds and you know you know metrics for manufacturing use cases versus you know consumer use cases versus you know business use cases it's just it's just an a, a completely different ballgame. game
0: now they also uh started cuz again the 80s they started adding more kinds of communications by the 90s yeah. they started adding Um, email services and things like that on top of uh, uh, your internet. Uh, Then they went into VoIP and IoT. Um, I mean, it's amazing to me that in less than two decades, they went from a phone service utility to pretty much every form of connectivity. Yeah.
1: And, And they had to. You know, and not just one service provider, but multiple service providers, because it's one thing if you are in, let's say, the Northeast, where you're in a large metropolitan area, and you're going to have lots of competition, right? Um, so you have this ability, you know, to have, you know, you may live in a locality where you can have cable, fiber, 5G, you know, connectivity at your fingertips. In some areas, um, let's say businesses, and I'm thinking of sort of, um, uh, let's say, uh, let's say chain stores, right? you know, um, pet stores or something like that, they're going to use whatever connectivity they can find and possibly double up on two types of connectivity. So the example you gave in terms of point to point, I've seen a lot of retail outlets that weren't necessarily in a busy, busy, you know, metropolitan area that might be using cable to do their, um, their uh, uh, you know, Babel hook into uh, remote desktops to do certain things, but then they use T1 circuits, and this was five years ago, T1 circuits, to do credit card transactions and send financial data back and forth. So yeah, completely different uses and 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 the providers really have to run the whole gamut of, of connectivity options for people.
0: And I think it's also important to call out, um, there are a lot of new entrants into this space. Um, yeah. uh, you know, you can think of, uh, Companies like Dish Networks and so forth, um, uh, Hughes, and other satellite mm-hmm. dish kind of companies that have given yeah. a lot of people in remote locations uh, internet access and so forth. Um, and then, you know, the latest one in that front would be like Starlink. Um, sure. They don't offer a lot of the old traditional stuff. They only offer some of the new yeah. stuff. You know, so the the area of service providers. The reason why we want to do this series on this is because it is becoming very complicated. Uh, or complex, um, it's no longer one thing, um, and I have a feeling that we're going to have to come up with some new words here in the next decade or so to help differentiate the different kinds of service providers. Unless, yeah. I mean, are there any terms like that already starting to come out?
1: I mean, you're hitting the satellite, you know, fiber broadband. I mean, you know, at the top level you can say wireless and wireline. <laughs> you know, that's sort of you know what what physical medium are you using? But then when you get into the wireless that hits a whole different area of different types of capabilities and spectrums, so, yeah.
0: Well, let's uh, let's kind of flip this now specifically into the security realm. Uh, that sure. was a great overview, and I think it's important that even if, uh, you know, a listener, if your focus is on uh, just the security aspect, you need to realize all the other things they do, um, which is part of the challenge sometimes. The bigger the organization, the more kinds of services they do, Um, That means that if you ever call them for service, there's gonna be more options. Press one for this, Mm -hmm. two for this. Security might be number nine, you know? So the more they offer, the the more complex the organization. Um, But it also means they might have more resources. That's a a decision and and a a factor we're not gonna get into today uh, on how to choose one yet. Um, But I know that on the security aspect, uh, one of the big things that I first learned and, and was working with service providers on was, Preventing our internet from going down from things like DDoS. Um, so, you know, what are some of the security aspects that you see pretty much standard across the board these days?
1: I mean, it's funny. I was I was thinking back to um, I used to work at a service provider, you know, long, long, long time ago. Uh, if I went back a little bit more than a decade of the types of services that they were offering on on the security side. Um, and some of them are still around, right? Um, but I think the list has expanded uh, a great deal. You know, you know, back then they were doing things like intrusion detection, um, you know, anti-spam and anti-virus. Uh, they were doing managed uh, firewalls along with their managed routers and managed VPNs and things like that. But I think since then, um, because things have become more cloud-centric, um, more edge-centric. Um, everything we talk about and here at Infoblox in terms of remote workforces, distributed offices and things like that, I think that they've um, a lot of them have really ratcheted up their security offerings in terms of threat intelligence, uh, managed security event management. you know I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And when you think about it, you know how are they able to do that? I, I sort of think to myself that if you take the largest of enterprise networks, you take a service provider network, That service provider network is 10 times uh, the number of endpoints, uh, the number of devices, the number of things that they have to protect. And so they're really in a good spot to be able to understand what horrible things can possibly happen out there Uh, because they've seen it and they live it and they have to protect their own networks in order to provide great service. They've gained that level of knowledge to be able to say, hey, let me offer these services to, to my enterprise customers and even depending upon the provider down to even the consumer level.
0: And I remember, um, you know, it's interesting that you you highlight that they have to protect their own network because if their network goes down, it doesn't affect just one organization, but lots. And right. I remember right. it was about a year and a half ago that there was an attack on, uh, in North America, a regional DNS service. And because that one service went down and everybody was dependent on it, it pretty much shut down almost 85% of all internet activity for half of the United States. Um, And some of these service providers uh, around the world, uh, certain countries, they have a a dominant, if not exclusive service provider Mm -hmm. that everything has to go through. Um, So keeping in mind that service providers do put, um, as the saying goes, all of your eggs into one basket or maybe just Mm -hmm. a few baskets uh, does, does uh, present a risk. But on the other hand, their size also gives them some scalability to make certain things more affordable. Um, certain services that, uh, if they're going to be offering it to everybody, um, it can become affordable. Some of those things might even be just part of what they use to compete in the market to differentiate that, Hey, with our service and connectivity, we also include these things. Whereas the competitor, they just give you the connectivity and you want those other things, you gotta do them yourself. Um, -hmm. how, how hire a
1: third party (laughs) or hire a third party to do it for you. Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah. So how often do you see uh, that kind of, or how much of a difference do you see between service providers? Because, I mean, you're based in Europe right now, you used to work in, yeah. in North America, so you have a good global perspective. Um, how much do you see service providers using security services as a differentiator?
1: Um, I see that actually a great deal. Uh, I think you'll normally see it with some of your larger, you know, top tier service providers, the ones who have, ironically, I think a lot of enterprise business, and they focus on certain verticals, so that gives them that that sort of level of experience. So, if you happen to be a very large provider that's doing a lot of state local government, you probably have a very good handle on compliance. Um, if you're you know cert, if you're handling you know manufacturing or if you're handling you know just a multitude retail, you probably have a good handle on that. You're going to be able to offer those types of services and tailor those. Um, I think if you go down uh, the stack. They might, uh, you know, lower tiered service providers might be partnering with other um, MSSPs or other MSPs to, or toward a, in, in order to augment those services. But I've seen a lot from, uh, from the larger globals down to the tier twos where they have a fairly decent, robust uh, security practice or even the managed networking practice for that matter.
0: Well, and, and we keep using the word service. We refer to them as service providers. Um, yeah, yeah. But what they call services is not what a lot of people tend to think of. But yeah. they are offering real, what we would consider real services. Like mm-hmm. you can hire them to come in and do some pen testing. And I'm seeing a lot of them starting to offer yeah. those kinds of services. It used to be exclusively those things that a consultant would be hired to do. Yep, absolutely.
1: Um, and and I remember even uh, penetras- penetration testing being done Eight years ago, that was the type of thing that they were able to easily come in and, and, and sort of do that, or even um, even uh, beyond penetration testing, uh, threat assessment, uh, risk assessments, things like that, to be able to tell customers this is sort of what we're seeing here um, that you might need to take care of. Um, I remember, uh, you know, the, the the one provider I worked at, we had a very large cloud and colocation uh, practice, and so. As part of that, your customers might be running on your on your systems and networks that had to be PCI, uh, you know, level two compliant, or they had to be HIPAA compliant. So you were a part of the compliance um, conversation, even if they were using their own auditor or we were able to help audit. Um, it was just par for the course. It was something that just you know it was it was reasonable uh, to be asked for and reasonable to be delivered.
0: Yeah, in the late 90s, I was working for an AV vendor at the time, and they actually were working with a number of service providers mm-hmm. that were looking at offering security as a service. And at the time, they uh, they wanted to use uh, a home desktop antivirus as <laughs> a bonus. Hey, you buy your yeah. connectivity from us because this was a consumer focused communi- uh, communication. So buy your connectivity from us. We'll give you licenses for antivirus. And, you know, yeah, we're $5 a month more or whatever it was, but we'll keep you maintained. Now, at the time, that actually failed because at that time, you didn't subscribe to a antivirus or other security service who bought product back in those days. That was pre-subscription. The only people doing subscription were service providers. Yeah, so it yeah. failed because of the pricing model. But today we are seeing those kinds of things come back into play because the technology and the desire by the providers was there, but the mindset of the market wasn't quite ready for it. And right. um, one of the things I'm seeing today in that is uh and, and it was one of the, the triggers why i wanted to go go talk about service providers uh there's a lot of things to cover here but i noticed that a lot of the pro- providers i was able to choose from uh for both my personal service and when i uh set up uh, my wife actually owns a, a rather large business herself and so when we were looking at business and consumer services um some of the providers said, oh yeah, and for DNS, we just point you to this free service. They they just redirect me right. elsewhere. And, but others, it's actually part of their offering. They actually have a managed DNS capability. Um, how big is that? Because I'm just talking about my little region here when I just recently moved to Texas um, yeah. in the United States. How is that uh, globally? Do you still see that kind of, of differentiation?
1: Um, I think for the most part, uh, the the providers, of course, would prefer you utilize their DNS because they're able to control the experience. They're able to control, um, you know, at a network level, um, how quickly you're going to be able to go to something and they're able to cache that response. So if you think about a lot of the places that people go to, um, maybe it's either in the morning or afternoon. I'm just thinking of, of news websites they pull up apple news or whatever they have on their devices and they're scrolling through there along with 10,000 other of their friends are probably going to the same place in that same geographic region so they're able to pre-cache that content which is which is good because they're giving a really good fast response there but um you know i, I was when you were talking about that before i was thinking of how um you know even today i, I there are some providers that are still bundling in software <laughs> you know, with, with, uh, with a service and guess what? Consumers don't like installing software. They don't have the time for it. And so if you're able to, um, if you're utilizing your own DNS, you're also able a a whole bunch of them in North America, but I think even more so outside of the U S are able to offer value added services either for free or as an, as an add-on to say, Hey, you know, we can give you a little bit more protection on your, on your network so that, if you're about to click on something that's malicious, we can actually stop you from doing that, or at least stop that request from going through. Um, and in some areas, um, you have um, regulatory requirements that you are supposed to uh, provide some fundamental level of uh, of protection, so that you know children. You know, people are going to websites that you don't want them to. Uh, as a parent, uh, so but that's what it, it's a network-based control that uh, that the providers are in a beautiful spot to be able to to provide that capability.
0: Now we've talked a little bit about you know where service providers came from, where they are today. I want to kind of pick your brain on the future. Um, you alluded, and I want to clarify this for the audience. You know that you've been in it for a while. I've actually seen the pictures of you in those little concrete bunkers, playing with all the wiring closets and trying to figure out which circuit goes where oh, yeah. and cursing the That's guy who I is did. there before you. Um, yeah. So you've been in literally the trenches on this from day one. And so I think that gives you a good uh, perspective on where they're going. What, what, are we, what why, might we expect next from the service provider industry? What kind of things uh, are they going to be uh, driving?
1: Um, I think that one of the first big things is that, and I know this is going to be a massive shock to everyone listening, but 5G, I hear, is going to be a big thing. Um, I'm saying that as a joke, right? But but no, I think 5G is going to be, um, for a lot of consumers and businesses, a great equalizer. Because remember when I said that if I'm out in a somewhat rural area, I may not have a lot of selection on my internet. And the fastest thing I might be able to get is a T1 that I'm using for internet and telephony. Uh, so five g will be able to service a lot of different uh, communities, a lot of different regions. Um, there are a lot of places in the world that aren't even on four g yet. You know people might be used still using two g and they're using that for internet connectivity. So five g is going to be a, a big thing in terms of the services. and they're going to be able to they're going to look to expand their service footprint utilizing five g because it's cheaper for them in the long run. I don't have to send trucks out i don't have to send technicians out i can have uh, people even self-install from a consumer standpoint but i think that the the next big thing is that providers are going to be collaborating a lot more with other players in the digital ecosystem and what i mean by that is right now a great number of providers have built out their own telco clouds right so they went from physical network functions physical devices uh to virtualize network functions so virtualize things running on hardware but i think the next phase of this within 5g is going to be the big you know driver of that is our containerized network functions and that's going to allow them to really push things out to the far edge and satisfy a lot of those use cases Um, but at the same time that's also going to increase the number of ips the number of devices the number of things and it actually creates, I think, more of a a security risk because you have a larger security um, uh, footprint in order to manage. Let me me ask a question on that,
0: though. I mean, are we talking about them becoming like uh, another Amazon Web Services, where now they've got marketplaces where I just select things and all of a sudden they they spin up a container now for my account and I've got this new service? Is that the kind of thing we're looking at from service providers? Are you going to compete in that market?
1: I don't think they're necessarily going to compete, I think they're going to work with. So I think that you're going to see this convergence of of telco clouds and providers working a lot more with the public cloud providers. And there might be a little bit of what you just described in the middle. Um, The providers might have capacity that they can actually rent to other um, enterprises or other businesses to be able to put applications on the edge and be able to work with that subscriber base or that, 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 uh, that enterprise segment. they're trying to work with but i do see that you're going to have this convergence of um, looking at these sort of these use cases and working more together i think a lot of the providers tried to be their own clouds they might have not have really you know gotten some success in that but i think you're going to see them working in a much larger ecosystem
0: now i want to go back to one thing you said just a few moments ago Mm -hmm. i debated actually interrupting you at that point but um i'm glad we finished that a lot of the things that they are offering 5g is what you mm-hmm. were talking about specifically at that moment. Yeah. And you were, you were hitting on some points that I really want to highlight again for the audience. Mm-hmm. 5g, a lot of us tend to look at it. Well, I want 5g cause I want faster bandwidth. That's how it's marketed. Right. It gives me faster, yeah. you know, bigger band, faster data speeds, uh, et cetera. Um, which by the way, my phone says 5g all the time. I don't think I've ever <laughs> seen that kind of performance, uh, yeah. but um, I, and that's probably my cell provider uh, rather than anything else. But the problem is that it, you know, that's the way we look at it, but it is a lot more. You mentioned that doing things like 5g will give them more serviceability options. I mean, there's a lot under the sheets of these technologies and and 5g is just a good example, but the Mm -hmm. things that these service providers are rolling out also give them benefits that then absolutely. have indirect benefits to us, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so on the you know, on it, 5G side, let's dig into that a little bit here. What? Why is 5G so important just from a global interconnectivity standpoint? I think this is real important. It's not just yeah. more bandwidth, but our entire infrastructure actually becomes stronger, more resilient with
1: 5G, right? Absolutely, because if you look at how um, it is, it is the first cloud-native mobile architecture end-to-end cloud-native, the functions inside of it are cloud-native. And 4G wasn't like that. 4G, for the most part, was still utilizing hardware. This is all software-based. So from from a provider perspective, again, you know, they can provision or change out new services through software. They don't need to send someone out 50 miles to a cell tower somewhere in the desert and swap out a line card. They can do this, you know, remotely. Um, it's going to save them money. It's going to make them more efficient. It's going to allow them to upgrade services faster, um, which in turn means that we, the consumers or the businesses are going to be able to consume and utilize a, a lot of other services. And, and one thing to, to sort of not just make this all about 5G, all of these principles are bleeding into your wireline, into your advanced broadband. you know it could be cable, um, it could be fiber. All of these cloud native principles, are all related. So when I use that word telco cloud, um, there are some providers that are doing mobile ethernet fiber, you know, they're, they're running the whole gamut of services that are able to offer. And they're using those cloud, like those cloud native principles, um, in, in that entire system.
0: Well, and, and where I was going to lead up to this, and unfortunately we're, we're getting close here, but the, I want to lead up to the fact that this kind of work is also foundational for a lot of those mm-hmm. other things people are looking at like, hey, when am I going to have my ca- all the cars are going to be connected, and, yes. and IoT beyond just a thermostat, all of these new technologies that we're anticipating in the next five to 10 worlds to be everywhere, yeah. they require this. If we don't get 5G right, we don't have those technologies really going to, they're not going to be able to Absolutely. do what they promised.
1: Absolutely. and uh, and I think going back into the, the security side of things, Right. Um, Once you have all that running, then you need to find ways to be able to secure them, to optimize them, uh, to to make them better, for to fit the profile of the the users and the businesses that are utilizing these. Which when we talk about the evolution of the services, you know, to think uh, 10, 12, 13 years ago when, when I was there on the service side, that there are now IoT services, there are you know health services, you know things that are riding on these newer technologies, and, and I'm talking about security services, monitoring services, uh, you know ways that uh, these providers can help businesses actually kick off these new services. It's just it's just absolutely amazing, and and you know it's it's going to be really interesting to see in the next ten years as these networks evolve and these services are rolled out of how that's going to play out.
0: Yeah, and and I know we've focused a lot on the goodness. I'm I'm counting on our listeners to also be uh, realizing the whole time that every time you introduce some new technology (laughs) that offers promises and benefits, there's a risk to go with it. Some of those are the things we'll talk about later, but uh, unfortunately we have really run out of time. Uh, But David, thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me on. Uh, It's been a pleasure. And I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners for your time as well. Join us next time as we continue our efforts to help you stay on top of cybersecurity and ahead of cyber risks on Threat Talk.